So as we are continuing, people who want a greater ministry better be faithful into what they have. And they're not. Many people, they want this and that. It's from the self-nature. They're not interested in really what the Lord wants. They want what they want. It's called the pride of life. And the love of the Father is not in those kind of people. He tells you that very plainly. All of God's calls and ministries and gifts have duties and responsibility that one day you will give an account for, okay? Rewards are either gained or lost for eternity, okay? People use ministry and misuse ministry, and God will hold them accountable for that, okay? Verse 12, but I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. We'll stop there because that's part of the whole context. He strengthened me. He thanks the Lord who gives grace and strength. Grace is strength to do what God requires. Now look at Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think in the right mind, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. It means to work that ministry. We'll see what that means. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, okay? So gifts and ministries according to grace and that according to faith. And God's giving abilities, he gives a measure of faith and insurance, and a person has confidence to work at that level and not no further. Many people try to move beyond what they are called for. Some teachers have instructional teaching, and that's fine. Some have exhortation and prophecy in their teaching. They have a higher percentage of grace given, but again, they're responsible for it. So whatever God gives, it's going to measure out. Don't want something if you're not going to be faithful where you're at, because you're going to answer for that, what you've already been given. So grace is not just unmerited favor. God can do as he pleases and favor anybody, but then there's a condition to it. People don't respond to this extra grace. They will be judged more severely later. See, he's just in all of his deeds. He has, has no favorites. He just doesn't pick and choose. If he gives much, he requires much because he gives the ability to do what he requires. So he gives an amount of assurance and faith for the person to do that ministry. And they should not proceed without God giving another measure. Maybe that's what he wants of them. Maybe he cannot give them certain things because they've not dealt with parts of their own nature and their pride, and he knows it would be too much for them. That's why he gave Paul the stake in the flesh to keep him from being arrogant. He was given so much revelation, as much and more at the time than the apostles. And yet look at the punishments that he bore through the world. Many people believe the stake in the flesh was a special demon to buffet him and cause persecutions everywhere he went. 
We don't hear of the other apostles getting something like that. But he was given it, and it was to keep him humble. And when he sought the Lord to be relieved, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough, for my strength will be made purpose. He made grace strength. All of God's grace to the Christian is some form and level of strength that he gives the ability. And he gives faith the same way. Okay, he gives it in a measure and what's necessary for that person. So a person only has a measure of faith. He or she can move with assurance and confidence in that gift or ministry. God's measure and call, he gives faith. For the word of God assures him that God is in what he's doing. So that gives authority. Many churches and the dominates think they give authority. God don't recognize most of it. Just because they appoint people, the people they appoint often got money and they're influential and people like them. That's what they appoint. God didn't appoint them. And actually they're going to be judged one day for the falseness. Uh-huh. They are to appoint and put hands on who God has approved, not whom they approve, okay? People do not move, and they shouldn't, Christians by presumption instead of faith. Uh, you hear that often. Presumption is guessing or a positive thought, positive thinking, not based on much, even the Word of God, but the Spirit's not moving. And that's why one of the temptations for Jesus by the devil he told him to jump off of the pinnacle of the temple, and angels would guard him. And Jesus knew it was a lie, because the Father didn't tell him to jump. So for him to jump and show who he was to impress all the people would have been presumption and sin on his part. He only did what the Father told him to do. And the devil wanted to circumvent this, and he tried to get him to disobey God that way. But Jesus knew him, and he knew the word too well, okay? So faith is a hearing a word from God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It has to be spiritual. It's not a positive attitude. I hear a lot of people, well, I'm going to step out in faith. I said, you're just walking in blindness because you've had no command from God. Uh -huh. Now, there is a place, like God told Moses, when he was backed up to the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming, he started to pray and the Lord said, you don't need to be praying. Divide the sea. He had already prayed enough. He said, divide the sea. So he did it. He thought he had to go through a long process again. So there is a faith of speaking when you're moving in the assurance. But faith is not presumption. It's not assuming God's going to protect you because he won't. A lot of people do things. I've known ignorant people years ago. I hate to say it, but they write checks by faith, and they know they don't have money in their checking account, and they get arrested, and the bank closes and won't deal with them anymore. You can go to prison for that, but they think that kind of faith, God's going to just produce money and put it in the bank for them. See, a lot of them don't use common sense. Many of these people just don't use common sense in their dealing with God. And you cannot have mountain moving faith if you can't move a molehill. If you can't get a cure for a cold 
and yet you're going to take all your medicine because you got cancer, but I'm going to trust the Lord. Well, I had a cousin that did that. She was a diabetic with four kids, and all of a sudden she decided I'm going to stop taking all my medicine, and she was dead within a week, and her husband had to raise the kids because she believed that God was going to do it, but she was wrong. She didn't get no word from the Lord. And she had never moved in any kind of faith. She just didn't want to take her medicine and thought she's going to put that trip on God. She got fooled, didn't she? Okay. So we see that that kind of faith, hearing from God, is a prophecy. It's a form of God inspiring the hearing of the word. People come under conviction if the true gospel is preached. That's God doing something. And so he gives them the ability to respond. But if the true gospel is not preached, and God will even honor it through a backslid minister, he'll honor his word. He's not honoring the minister. And a person can receive from the Lord. And sometimes the minister thinks, oh, I'm okay with God because I still get people saved. He's going to be shocked at the day of judgment when he's not even in the kingdom. Uh huh. And so we see... It does not walk and follow the Lord and what he already knows. A person will not go any further in faith or grace. And all the Bible study and going to seminary ain't going to help you one bit. Okay, I have to be honest. In the five or ten people that I knew of and knew personally over the 50-some years that went to seminary, they came out worse than when they went in. See, because they were slanted. They didn't go by faith. They were taught, you must believe this to be in our group. People who are bound to denominations are in idolatry. There is only one church, and it's the body of Christ. And none of the denominations are following the Lord perfectly anymore, and they're mixed with the world. So if you're bound to that or the military or your job, you are an idolatry, and you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so he said, because he considered me, this is Paul, faithful. God watches and he tests people. Paul was faithful in what he knew of the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That's why he got special letters from the high priest that everybody didn't get to go and arrest the Christians and bring them for judgment to be stoned, the leaders and stuff. They were impressed with Paul. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. He said, according to the law, I was blameless. That was true, according to what he knew of the law. But he didn't know the whole law, and things were kept from him. But at least he was doing what he honestly thought was right, even though he was in error. Uh -huh. He needed instruction. And that's why the Lord said it's hard for you to kick against the goads. God was bothering him. He had this anger and violence against these, he called them blasphemers. He thought Jesus was a false prophet and his followers, and he was angry and he wanted to put them to death. The law required that under certain cases, but he was fighting against his conscience. The Lord started to give him stuff and he was fighting it. He didn't know where it was coming from. And that's why the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick. A goad, kick against the pricks or the goads, when an ox was being trained to go certain directions, if he didn't go, they had a long stick or pole with a thorn on the end of it, and they'd poke him in his rear end or leg. 
it would force him to go the other way. And they did that until he learned the voice command. And then he didn't have to be poked anymore. But until then, he just kept getting poked. And because he was constrained, he could try to kick, but it wasn't going to help. He'd get poked again. And he'd have to do it whether he liked it or not. And that's what the goads were, okay? Or pricks or goads. They have different names for them. So when he was called, God already knew he was faithful and his zealot in what he was doing. And he assumed, well, if that's his nature, uh, he'll be good when I get a hold of him. If he's good at this and doing his best that he knows how, and the Lord reads minds, he knew him. And that's why he called him. He decided to show great mercy, not only to him, but as an example that any sinner could repent and come to the Lord. And the gospel was for everyone. So he was doing what he knew and blameless according to the law. But God knew he could trust him more by looking at how Paul already was honest and faithful in what he knew, even though he was wrong in certain things. Uh huh. But he said, I can straighten him out. I'll deal with Paul. And it's interesting, when the Lord appeared to him and told him who he was, he immediately submitted to him. What would you have me do, Lord? And he puts him away a few days. He's blind and he was fasting, didn't eat. And the Lord started to reveal things to him. And then a disciple was sent to pray for him that he could see, and he was filled with the Spirit. See, he had already accepted the Lord. And during those three days of blindness, we don't know what the Lord was telling him and talking to him and probably opening up his understanding. And all of a sudden, he began to see in the Old Testament, this is Jesus. He, see, he was blinded to that before, like the Pharisees, because their heart wasn't perfect toward him. But because Paul was doing it ignorantly, God said, I'm going to deal with him. He didn't do that with the Pharisees. He hardened them further. And Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. So God knew that he would be able to trust him by his character, how he already was. So he put me into the service, verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. That alone would have judged him. You were not to be violent when you dealt with the people in the criminal system. That's why when Paul said something that the high priest didn't like, he had his servant slap Paul in the face. And Paul said, God will judge you. And then they said to him, did you not know this was the high priest? And he immediately backed up and said, I knew not. And he was, because the Lord said not to speak evil of your leaders. So he corrected himself. But God did strike that high priest. He died out of God's will and as a hypocrite. But he understood that. He was saying, you dare strike me according to the law. Even when they judged people, they were not to beat them or anything if they were going to be put to death. They took them and bound them and stoned them to death. But they did not abuse them on the way. They did not rail and yell at them. And he was evidently doing this He was probably arresting the Christian leaders and cursing them and saying you're cursed and God's going to put you to death. So he may have gotten into areas that they provoked him, 
But see, it was the devil provoking him too. And he began to see this though. And so he claims to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, and he was a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy. Why was he shown mercy? Because God is gracious to whom he pleases, but God looked overall at his life and because I acted ignorantly and unbelief. If he had done this thing as a murderer or an abuser or a criminal, he wouldn't have been given any mercy. You'll find that in Scripture, okay? So he considered me faithful. God watches and tests. Paul was faithful in what he knew of the law, and the Lord knew he would be faithful and exercise the same principles when he dealt with him. Okay, so what was he before Christ? A blasphemer. He speaks against Jesus as a false prophet. That's what they believed and the Jews believed. That's why they put him to death. He was a persecutor of those who followed Jesus. He had the letters to bring the leaders back and have them stoned to death. He was there consenting to the death of Stephen when Stephen was stoned, he held the cloaks. See, the, the men would take the cloaks off so they could throw the stones better. And they stoned Stephen to death. He was a part of it. Whether he threw the stones or not, he's guilty. If you rob a bank and you're in the getaway car and people in the bank are killed, you are tried for murder because you were a part of it. You don't have to murder. You have to be a part of it. And that's what will happen. And that's what happens under God's law, too. Okay? So he believed falsely that he was to root out these people because they were not true Jews. He violently, zealously brought them to judgment. He killed some of them, and he thought he was doing God's will. Isn't that something? Well, Jesus said, didn't he? He said to his disciples, the time will come, they will kill you. He was talking to his disciples, thinking that they do God's service. Well, they did. And he was doing it, okay? Some of them did it out of malice and greed and hatred. And that's why the Pharisees wanted to get rid of Jesus. He was affecting their money. It was after he kicked over the money changers selling things in the temple it was after that that they decided to murder him. See, they couldn't have him interfering with their cash flow. See, money was the main thing with these people, okay? But he was in blonde era, but he thought he was doing God's will, okay? He was not a common murderer. Murder is the unlawful taking of someone's life, always selfish at its source killing of violent criminals was just and putting to death of wicked in the society was God's will. So when the government puts to death people, they're doing justice as far as God is concerned. Oh, I know all the hypocrites and the false ministers. They want to do away with that. We shouldn't take a life. God said you put them to death. If they can't behave in society and they're violent, he said put them to death. Paul said, government is an avenger of God against evil, and they do not bear the sword in vain. He's talking of the Roman sword. It was not used to spank people. The sword was used 
primarily to put to death wicked people in society. And he expected that to be upheld. So if we have 15,000 murderers a year in the United States, we should have at least 5,000 people executed. We're lucky if we get 10. So in a way, we don't have the death penalty because it ain't working because liberals don't want it to work. And false ministers misquote the Bible. And they're going to answer to God for coming against the government. See, no matter what the government is, it is to maintain order in society. God don't care if it's a democracy, a king, a dictator. If they'll maintain order, that's their job, to keep anarchy and people doing what they want to do to anybody. That's the purpose. And those who can't behave, God said put them to death. Okay? Oh, they don't like that part of the gospel. Which you're supposed to turn the other cheek. That's for Christians, not, not for false Christians. People apply Christian principles to people who are not Christians. It don't work. He said, forgive one another, brethren. He didn't say forgive the world for their sin. He, he says, stand aside. God will take care of it one day. God will avenge you. He didn't say God was going to forgive them. See? So they don't rightly divide the word of truth. The gospel is for the Christian. It's not for the pagan. But the pagan mixes it all, and that's why we have so many pagan Christians. Okay? But he said, Paul said, I did those things in ignorance. Now, ignorance is not an excuse of anything. Under the law, there were sacrifices for ignorance, but you still could be punished lesser. He said, those who did things worthy of punishment and didn't know it, they would have been beaten with lesser stripes. But those who knew and disobeyed, he said, they'd be beaten with many stripes. So the ignorant are told you shouldn't be ignorant. You should learn the principles of God. You should not be doing things that you're questionable about. That's not faith and assurance. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And that's why Paul told the weaker Christian, let them observe days and months. They were Jews that came to the Lord. They don't want to eat this. They don't let them. You have liberty, but don't force your conscience on them until they see it in the scripture. It would be sin for them to take your advice. Their conscience would still say something's wrong because the conscience has to be enlightened with the truth. And until it is, you have to obey the conscience. It's the inner law, okay? So he did these things because he thought he was right. He thought Jesus was a false prophet. Uh huh. And then the same Jesus appears to him as Lord. He saw his wrongs, okay? Isn't it interesting? Jesus, when he appeared to Paul, he didn't say, I am the Lord, the Son of God. He used the human term, I am Jesus, or simply meant Savior, because Paul was trying to kill Jesus' disciples. See, he didn't believe he was the Lord or anything. So Jesus is making it plain, who are you persecuting? You're persecuting mine, you're persecuting me. And he understood at that minute that Jesus was a divine being. By his response, he understood. And that's where Jesus began to reveal to him. Those three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink. I'm sure he was getting some dreams and visions then. And the Lord was enlightening him. And all of a sudden he saw where he was misguided 
and ignorant, and he was being enlightened, okay? Now he believes Jesus is Lord and God. He got the same revelation Thomas got, my Lord and my God. He saw his wrongs. Now he believes Jesus is this. He knows that the Messiah, if he knows scripture, was the Lord himself. Unless the demons understood. Okay, He was and would be a zealot for God in the truth that he was given. The Lord could see that already. You never find Old Testament prophets called by God who were wicked and evil people. You cannot find it. He didn't call criminals and murderers. He didn't stop on the road and said, you're going to be my prophet. Uh-uh. The ones he called were serving the Lord in the knowledge that they had. They were moral, upright people. So, see, he wasn't calling the wicked then, the excess. Those who were doing good and trying to obey the law or their conscience, those are the ones he called. And people think, oh, the terrible sinner, yeah, I I guess if we'd given Calvinism its place, they could have sent a minister Hitler uh, five minutes before he shot himself, and we would see Hitler in heaven. What foolish demonic teaching, okay? 14, and the grace of the Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Jesus Christ. The grace of God was full and abundant to me, is what he's saying, calling and forgiving and appointing him to follow Christ. The very people he's trying to put to death, the leaders, and punish the other Christians, the followers, now he's serving him. He's made him his disciple. That's a turn of events. He experienced the faith and love of Christ for himself, and he understood it for others. God was inspiring him and enlightening him. And he saw that this person that I've had so much hatred for, he is the Lord, and he's forgiven me for this and set me straight. So he saw the love of Christ firsthand. The law was often unmovable, yet grace was more. Go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, the one face to face with him, he is in the bosom of the heart of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus said, he has seen me, have seen the Father. The Holy Spirit entered him as a man, but he was God in him, and he lived his life by the Father's command. Every word, every action Jesus did, he was in harmony with the Father. He said, as I see the Father work, I work, but he had to do it as a man also. But then he told Philip, who have seen me have seen the Father. He condescended with the law could not. No one could approach God behind the veil at the time of Moses. Only Moses was called at times, and later the high priest. He had to keep them, the people at arm's length, for their imperfection. The sanctuary only the priests could minister in. 
The outer court was for everybody else. The people in the outer court could not go into the sanctuary. They were not called and set apart to be priests to the Lord. And no one but Moses in the beginning could go behind the veil. Okay? So we're seeing they could not approach God freely because of their imperfection and sin. And God's wrath would become against them. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God drove them out of the garden. They could not have that relationship with anymore. And an angel, a cherub with a sword, guarded it. So Adam and Eve may have tried to go back in there sometime when life got rough. But the angel with the sword was telling them, you try and we'll put you to death. You do not come past the sword. See, they lost something. And then when Cain murdered his brother, he was driven out further from God's presence. And that's what sin did, even under the, the conscience era, before the law. So no one could approach God face to face. He had to keep them at a distance. Yet Jesus came as a human being, Emmanuel, God with us. He condescended to human form. He lived and approached by many. And that's why when Philip said, Shell was the father, they met him in glory on the throne. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to see some of the things that Moses saw. And he was simply saying, you couldn't see him. You'd die. But I've condescended in a human body. And I'm the same one. And I'm talking to you. And I've been teaching you for three and a half years. If you're seeing me, you've seen the Father. He was saying you've seen him in a better way because he doesn't have to judge you. He shows grace and mercy and tolerance. So that was how God wanted to reveal himself in the human form and that they could understand him more clearly. So he took on the human nature so he would not overwhelm them as God. And he concealed that toward the end. He didn't want them interfering with what he was doing. Okay, He even told the high priest, soldiers that come and get him, and he told others, he said, if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would fight. He had to put Peter down for striking the, he was ready to fight. He grabbed a sword and sliced the ear off of one of the men, and Jesus told him to put it away. So he was saying, my kingdom's not an earthly kingdom. And if it was, then my disciples would be fighting you now to protect me. And he rebuked them for doing it, okay? So no one could experience and live the way the Lord wanted them to. He wanted them to see God in a different way. So he condescended to take on the human nature. The scripture says he emptied himself. He emptied himself of the use of divinity. Everything Jesus did, except when he was specially commanded, he did as a man yielded to the Holy Spirit. If he did it as God, he did not need to be baptized with the Spirit. He had to serve God perfectly and obey him and be a perfect human sacrifice to be the representative. And the Son of God, as Jesus said, he said, as the Father has life in himself, so has he given the Son. So the Son, the man, was a separate life from God. And yet he was unique in that he was, in his resurrection, God and man. But he had a unique life 
in himself, and that's what he had to yield up to the Father as a perfect sacrifice and an obedient servant. And he did that in his 30-some years on earth. They wanted to see. Philip says, show us. They wanted a vision of God on the throne. Jesus already told him before, only angels, and we know departed saints, they're the only ones qualified to see God face to face. It means in clear view. Again, we're not talking about him sitting on a throne and billions of people staring at him. He's everywhere. And God will reveal himself in his fullness because he's a spirit. And so every angel and departed always has the full presence of God, whatever they're called to do, whatever they do. He said they always behold the face of God. And yet they were seeing Jesus as God in humanity, not in a glorified state, okay? So he could not show them that. He said, you see me, you've seen the Father. There's nothing else I can show you because you're not prepared. If you see the Old Testament God, you'll drop dead. He told Moses, no one can see my clear face and live. And he appeared and showed him his back, but it was a vision. It was the Lord. The Lord is everywhere. He can condescend and take on form. He can appear and disappear. But there is not a place that the Lord does not fill. And Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead when he resurrected. And the glory was given back to him, the Godhead. It said the fullness of God bodily. Everything that God is and wherever he is was in Jesus. Because there's not a place he is not. So he conceals himself from the wicked. He conceals himself from people who don't seek him. And they don't even believe there's a God, many of them, because the demons have influenced them. Yet they live and move and have their being in him. And no law, physical or spiritual, could exist without him sustaining it. And Jesus, the Son, is given credit for creating everything for himself, too. Okay? 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. You can agree with it, he's saying, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. A lot of people like to twist the scripture and say, Paul said, I'm the foremost, I'm a sinner, chief sinner. He's not a sinner. He was a sinner. If he was a sinner, he would have been excommunicated by God. Uh-huh. People say, well, the church is for sinners. It's not for sinners. It's for believers. Sinners can come and listen, but they cannot be a part of. And if they don't repent, it's better off they leave. See, it's for believers. It's for those who will repent and turn to the Lord. It's not for practicing perverts and murderers and liars, adulterers and homosexuals. They have no place in a true church. They put them out. In Paul's time, the home churches did not put up with those people. If they weren't returning to the Lord and repenting, they couldn't be a part of the fellowship. So it shows you how the devil has taken over most organized denominations and churches. You look at who's going there and who has control. Okay? So it's a common and true statement. Yes, true, that Jesus came to save the world of sinners and I'm the foremost. He claimed that. Why? 
because he understood that he murdered the servants of the Lord. And that's the worst crime you could do. And that's why, like I said, with the judgment of the nations, the goat and sheep nations, he will reward the sheep nations for you fed and helped. And they'll say, well, who? See, a lot of people they helped, they didn't know who they were. He said, but you did me when you did them. And then he's going to say to the goat nations, you didn't help me. You didn't feed me when I was sick. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And they're going to say, well, we didn't know that. He said, well, the least you didn't do, you didn't do for me. That's how he's going to judge them. And like I said, the greatest judgments are going to be on the world who mistreated Christians and put them to death. That's the greatest judgments he's going to put on them on this earth. Okay? So he did that. He realized he murdered. In his mind, he was killing them according to the law. But he was wrong. And that's why the Lord was harnessing him. And the ones he put to death, they were in glory. He just promoted them into heaven. And God let him do it. He didn't interfere. God often doesn't interfere with the outward wickedness. But he doesn't overlook it. And every idle word any wicked person does, they'll be punished in the lake of fire for eternity. And some will have a greater punishment and a deeper lake of fire than others will, okay? Because he's just in all of his dealings. So not in the present state was he claiming to be a sinner. He is saying, I was chief among sinners when I was doing this. I murdered and helped put to death Stephen and others, and I thought they were false Jews and blasphemers. Uh When he was false to God, he thought they were, and he was deceived. He was actually the sinner here. No Christian is to glory in personally being a sinner. So when I hear a Christian say, well, we're all sinners saved by grace, I say, no, you're still a sinner because you cannot be a sinner and serve God. And you cannot be under grace and be a sinner. Oh, you may fall into sin as a Christian, and we do things we have to confess and repent. But if you make it that lifestyle, like Paul said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. No wicked person will. So they need to clarify what they're saying and stop propagating the devil's ministry. Okay? So if we continue in the flesh, in the world, and sin, we will end up in the lake of fire. The true body of Christ, the real church, is for righteous and holy followers of Christ. It is only for those who are repenting sinners. So it's only for repenting. The early church expelled practicing sinners. The saints were to be saved from their sins, given power over their sins. Let us finish here. Lord, give us wisdom practical understanding between the truth and a lie. In Jesus' name, amen.